Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com/wonder. Hey, it's Eric Hulkern, and on this episode of Behind the Headlines, March is Women's History Month, and so we celebrate by bringing on pioneer and trailblazer Sandy Petakevich, who incidentally was the human being who hired John into MLive. We'll get into all of that next on Behind the Headlines. As I said, our guest today, Sandy Petakevich, and as always, my co-host, the Vice President of Content for MLive, the one, the only, as he likes to be called, the legend, John Heiner. How are you today, my friend? I'm doing very well, Eric, and how are you? I am excellent. Thank you for asking. How many times do I call my podcast special? Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, 8 out of 10, probably, are yeah. special. They're, they're all special. I yes. love my podcast. But this one... Uh, without any hyperbole, this was one of the most meaningful conversations that I'm going to have um, on behind the headlines. It is March is Women's History Month, and today is International uh, Women's Day, and we have a great topic for today and a great guest. Um, I've got 40 years in the industry, 35 in this company, and anyone who's been around that long uh, can't get there without very influential people helping them, uh, mentors who pave the way. And today, my guest is Sandy Petakevich, who's not only a great trailblazer in journalism, but me personally, the, the person who's responsible for a lot of my success in journalism is companies. Good, good morning, Sandy, and thanks for joining. Hi, John. I just want you to know I'm just honored <clears throat> to be part of women's history. I, it really makes me feel kind of old. Well, you are coming to us, uh, beaming to us from Florida, uh, where you played bocce ball this morning. So I just want our <laughs> listeners to know that you did not wake up and like edit my stuff and and, and assign me a story. So no, I no. do miss those days, though. Um, before we go, I want you to I want you to sign a pact with me, though, that you will not tell a lot of true stories about me. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Eric Hulkering jokingly calls me the legend, but some of the legends are not savory. So yeah. let's just talk about you today. All right. No secrets will be revealed. Well, I did. I did say at the outset that you're trailblazer. I think that term gets used a lot for women who you know climb up into you know, into the corporate world or in industry or other parts of society. You know, but the truth are, you literally did some things that were first for women. Uh, in our company and in journalism in Michigan. And I'd just like to to hit a couple of those highlights, but then talk about what that meant for you. Um, and first of all, I went back and I was reading something uh, that was written by your alumni magazine at Central Michigan University. And they pointed out some of those roles you took and you said you were proud of it, but you, you didn't want to be known just for that. So 
go back to when you were getting into journalism because you worked in some kind of rough and tumble newsrooms. Uh, you were a copy editor, I think, at the Washington Post. And yep. copy desks are a pretty rough place. And we're talking about like the 70s and early 80s. So where did you make early a distinction 80s. that you were like a journalist versus a woman journalist? Well, I think starting out in my career, I really didn't feel any sort of sexism. I was very career oriented at that time. I was working very hard at that time. And it wasn't until I rose into the executive ranks that I started to see some of the sexism around me. So early in my career, um, that really wasn't the case. I worked, you know, Bob Woodward of the Woodward and Bernstein hired me at the Washington Post. I actually worked in his department and it was very competitive, very competitive and somewhat cutthroat. Everybody was trying to get ahead. So I didn't sense a woman versus man thing when I was young. It was only later that I started to pick up on that. Right. And you worked at the Baltimore News American and the Washington Post um, in some papers in Michigan before coming to what we call Booth Newspapers at the time, uh, which was folded into MLI Media Group. You were there when that happened, too. Um, but you came to the Jackson Citizen Patriot in 1983, which was a Booth newspaper as a Metro editor, which was a prestigious job. It was the person who dictates the news coverage, local news coverage. Um what was the environment like for a woman in news leadership to be the person making the calls, making the assignments, leading the, the news report? Well, I just did my job at that point. I did not consider it a woman-man thing. Um, and I just put my nose to the grindstone and I had ideas and I had plans and this was a very sleepy newsroom at the time. So it needed a real shakeup. And that is what I proceeded to do. And it really wasn't a man woman thing. Well, I will I mean, say, uh, well, it was during this period when you were uh, Metro editor that you made one of the like, most consequential hires of your career. That would be, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> Did I ever tell you that that I was hired by the woman who was hired by Bob Woodward? That that's my shirt <laughs> claim to fame. Um, but but we have our own stories about me coming to the sit pat and so forth. But what I remember was in terms of reputation and fair or not. I mean, separate woman from personality and all that. But mm -hmm. Sandy's tough. Um, she's uncompromising on her standards. She holds people accountable and. How much that got conflated with, you know, your sex, your gender versus just like if you were a man, nobody would question that. Back then, there was a lot of yelling across newsrooms, right? But it yep. seemed like people noticed it more when it was a woman taking charge. Yeah. Well, I have an interesting story about that. The first time I uh, interviewed for the editor's job at the Citizen Patriot, and I probably told you this story, but I don't know. The um, publisher at the time, I didn't get the job the first time around. I definitely thought I deserved it. But he told me I wasn't soft enough. Oh, my. I don't think you've told me that story. <laughs> he told me I wasn't soft enough. 
So wow. that is evidence, uh, obviously, that a tough woman is looked at differently than a tough man. I totally agree with that. Without getting into you know psychology or sociology, I think women are, are associated with nurturing roles, but the nature of business is hitting your goals and um, you know organizing your team and driving them to hit goals. That's what business world's about. But I think we still see it even today across the business spectrum. Um, not a large percentage of CEOs are women, and th they still seems to be a stereotype associated that that women should be able to have the soft skills, do both, get results, but not not right. come across as tough, you know. But I would tell you, I never had a problem with that with you because you made it clear what your standards were, and I always wanted to be the best, anyways. Um, not that you and I didn't ever, you know. Right. Have any disagreements? The people who had a drive to excel um, felt that way about me, I think. And um, the people who did not, maybe not so much. Um, but I do also remember when I first, when I finally did get the editor's job, which was two years after that comment was made, um, I, there were some there were some department heads who had a hard time with it. The mm -hmm. fact that a woman was um, um, leading the newsroom. And at that time, the editor's job was the second top position in the entire building. Mm -hmm. um, so I had some stature above some of these people and they were not easy to deal with at first. So I think that was when I started to see uh, how women were treated versus men was when I rose up in the ranks mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just had to plow on. Well, there were some things that came with the editor's position. And I'd like to stop here and say you were the first woman editor in booth newspapers for sure. I, I don't know about the larger company, uh, which is advanced local now around the country. And but there were some perks that came with the job, like country club membership. And I also it was, I think, customary that the editor would be in the Rotary Club. So why don't you what did you face uh, when you when you ascended to the editor's office in terms of out in the community? Well, when I um, was about to join the country club and it was my membership, um, not my husband's. Uh, he actually became the editor of the Ann Arbor News later and had his own membership. Anyway, they wanted to put the stock, the country club stock in my husband's name. They did not want it in my name. And um, to his credit, my boss said no. And of course, it was the newspaper. So, I mean, the club was in a tough spot. They, they <laughs> you know, that would be the last person you want to say no to um is the newspaper editor so they they uh they put the stock in my name and um so that worked out uh women couldn't play golf uh on saturday mornings and sunday mornings so you know even though i was a stockholder um that wasn't going to happen and in terms of the Rotary, I was the first woman member of Rotary. You know, that was a, a barrier to overcome as well. But I really was a trailblazer at Rotary because mm -hmm. 
there are now probably equal number of women and men, if not more women in Rotary than, so, you know, I felt good about that, getting in, you know, make, making that change. So, you know, um, to me at the time, it wasn't that big of a deal. I, w- I was more focused on doing a good job and sort of moving up in my career and doing what I had to do. And um, I guess I was just a little headstrong that way. So, you know, you just have to roll with it when you're in that spot. There's really no other, I don't see how you can try to make waves, so to speak, but um, I didn't feel like that was the right path. So I just, I just kind of rolled with some of these things and let it go off my back. And um, Don't you think women are, are asked to do that more? and to smile while they're doing it, <laughs> especially think, when you're there first. I mean, you, you look yeah. around the Rotary Club and you notice there's not a lot of people like you and you look right. around the country club and there's not a lot of people like you that that's got to come with a little bit of weight. Yep. Just a little, but you know, I actually, um, as a stockholder petitioned the country club to move up the women's tees because there were eight par fives for women <laughs> at the country club of Jackson. Now you, I can, I'm sure you understand that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And they did it. I got a petition together. I got all the women to sign it and they moved up some of the teas. And so, you know, that's the kind of the way I handled it is let's make some changes. Well, you also then became the first woman publisher in the company and so yeah, that's a real community. Well, so is the editor, but it's the publisher's a really community-facing job. Was the community ready for a woman in leadership at those levels? Did you have a lot of peers in your community? No, no, not at all. In fact, I, I was really the only one in the beginning. And then um, the local hospital appointed a woman executive a few years after. Um, and so it was she and I for a lot of years. And no, we weren't really accepted that well. I can remember, you know, a group of men used to meet and kind of plan what was good for Jackson. (laughs) And I used to call it the good old boys club. And so there was that kind of stuff going on. Um, But, you know, that's the way it was back then. And you either accepted it, fought it. I stood up for myself when I needed to, but I didn't feel like I was going to be, my trailblazing was just by doing a good job, moving up and showing women, other women that it could be done. That was what I considered my trailblazing. I wasn't out there yelling and screaming and demanding changes. The change did happen, but it wasn't, it wasn't of conflict, so to speak. Well, one element of trailblazing is then people come down that trail <laughs> and, and things slowly, they change, it takes time sometimes, glacial, but they change. And right now in our company, um, our CEO, Caroline Harrison's of course, woman. Um, we have a co-president, Pam Sadal, who's a woman. 
head of HR is a woman. Um, the VP of sales here in Michigan is a woman. Uh, Kelly Frick, who's senior news director. Sarah Scott, who we worked with in Jackson, started as a reporter uh, while, while you were there, is now has been the editor in, in Jackson of the SITPAP, but is now the director of state news for MLive. Um, I've got other directors who are women. Uh, Leanne Smith, who was a reporter at Jackson. Which, by the way, Eric Culcran, you should know Jackson's the cradle of greatness. It's kind of like for, for the entire company and industry, but we'll get, that's another podcast. But Leanne, <laughs> Leanne's still with us, you know, 30 years later, and she's, yeah. she's, she's helping lead our news coverage in Ann Arbor. So th that's the part of trailblazing, I think, that, that really matters as you show it can be done. And, it, it you know, you were uniquely... You have the constitution, the type of person you are, I think is uniquely suited for that challenge, right? I mean, I know when something needed to get done, you could, you could bear down and make sure it got done, but I think it was already part of who you were. And I think your early career shows that too. You Weren't you the editor at CM Life, which, you know. I, was an, I wasn't the top editor at CM Life. I came late to the party at CM Life because uh, I had to work for a living. And I was putting myself through school. So um, I didn't join CM Life till I was a junior. And I did rise to news editor, which, you know, was the second top position. So, yeah. Yeah. And I had 75 reporters. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, I started playing golf because, uh, because of the issue of me being the only woman executive. Uh, we would go to these retreats up north and golf was always a part of it. And so I had to learn it. I mean, I had no choice in my mind because I'd be totally left out. All the guys would be networking on the golf course mm -hmm. and I would be left out if I didn't learn to play. So, you know, <laughs> I took lessons. I went to golf schools. I got myself past the embarrassment factor, and and now you beat me in golf. <laughs> Thank you, journalism. Once in a while. Thank you, newspapering. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me, we we have to set a date, but we'll, we'll get to that after the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but you... things like that were just, you know, I mean, I had no interest in golf until it was a business imperative. So. My husband always jokes about that because he's been a golfer his whole life. He wanted me to learn golf, and I really had no interest in it until I became an executive. Then I got um, real interested. And, you know, the country club, the Rotary Club, these, they were enclaves to keep certain people out and keep, you know, certain people connected. <laughs> and so that that's a really cool part about the trailblazing, too. You mentioned Ed, um, also a great golfer. Um, and Ed was editor at the Ann Arbor News. Ed is also was known for being an uncompromising, tough editor who had high standards and pushed people. Mm -hmm. Did you guys ever compare notes and say, gee, you know, it's okay for you, but I get some blowback? Or did you ever just kind of look at that through the gender lens or, or not? Not a lot. Um, obviously, he was very um, um, supportive of me and Actually, when we moved to Michigan, it was for a job from Washington, D.C. It was for a job for him. And the company wanted him back. I had left the company. He had stayed with the company in the Washington Bureau, and they wanted him back. So we both went to Michigan, and they promised me a job. 
but they, I didn't know what it was going to be. And so he, when I became editor, he, he said to me before I became editor, he said, you're going to, you're going to be an editor before I am. And I probably will never get there. And that's fine with me. That didn't happen, but he was fully prepared to give up the chance to be an editor for me. So he was great. We, we talked a lot about stuff, but the gender thing wasn't front and center. Um, it was mostly comparing notes about what was going on in our individual newspapers. And of course, we did talk about, you know, how I was being treated and stuff like that. But I also had um, other mentors who were very supportive of me as well. They were all men. So one of the things I do pride myself, I, you know, I, I mentored some women and I hired some women who mentored other women. And I'm glad about that because my mentors were all male. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a significant part of the equation too, because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Eileen Leonard, who uh, was, you know, you were the Metro editor. She was assistant Metro editor. And then when you moved up, she moved up. And nice. I was walking down the hallway one day. I was a reporter and I was going to get my coffee. And she said, Hey, we have an opening for system editor. You want to apply? I said, no, I didn't even stop walking. I just walked past <laughs> her. Nope. <laughs> I knew how hard of a job it was. <laughs> it, it's a tough job being a system Metro editor. And she came back at me a few times and finally talked me into like an interim basis sort of thing. And so here I am, you know, <laughs> 30 years later, <laughs> but you know, she, she used a good newsroom and if you succeeded there, you could make it, you know, and that's a testament to you and Eileen. And I finally got, you know, on the desk and I got an opportunity to go to Bay City and be the Metro editor. And I remember you took me to lunch at the town club, which was probably an all male enclave before you got there. <laughs> yeah. But you told I probably me, was the, one of the only women members. <laughs> and, and you told me, you know, it's lonely. It's a lonely job. You know, it's lonely at the top and you don't make, you're not there to make friends. You know, you, you're there to do this job. And it was a good way to prepare me because Metro editor was a really um, difficult job, a lot of long hours and a lot of responsibility. Right. But uh, I felt like you, you and Eileen prepared me very well and uh, cherish you as a mentor, of course, um, one of the most significant mentors in my life. So thank you. Thank you. I was glad to do it. I can remember sitting you down also when you became assistant Metro editor and telling you, you needed to get yourself organized <laughs> <laughs> because I found in management that organizational skills are really important because mm -hmm. you're juggling a lot of balls and you need to be able to do that. And I, I, we actually, I saw many managers fail because they didn't, have that trait. And so I tried to tell you that that was something you needed to work on. I remember that. Well, and the lesson within that lesson is even, I think people think they have innate skills, things are good at and things are not. If you got to succeed, if you're going to succeed, you got to know what you're not good at and, and come up with ways not to compensate, but to learn how to do it. And so right. it's not my, still not my nature to be organized. I should let you look around my office here but you got to have a system that works for you. So right. that, that was, uh, now that you mentioned, I remember that. So you stayed um, on until the end of 2011. At the time, 
after you were publisher, you became the chief executive officer of Ann Arbor Offset, which is our printing operation in Ann Arbor at the time, um, which was printing the New York Times and some lots of other publications. Uh, and you retired, uh, going on to play a lot of golf and apparently bocce ball. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, what a change. And I, and I know you're connected because we talk, we talk, you know, frequently and, you know, we have our lunches and I know you stay connected with people in the industry, but from the, you know, that those years, those early years, 83, 87, how did you see it change for women in the workplace? And, and what was, would be your assessment now, just in general? Well, I think it was a gradual, slow change back in the 80s. And, you know, I started hiring women and, um, you know, it, things just progressed fairly slowly in my mind during those years. But there came a time when women were entering the profession. Uh, a lot of women were interested in the profession. And so there was a lot of growth later in the later years, you know, I'd say in the 90s and even into early 2000s. So I, I feel like it happened, um, but, it, you know, it's a slow, slow change, and especially at the top. And, you know, but now, I, my assessment now is that um, we're in a pretty good place as far as I can see. You know, I see a lot of women at the top in newspapers, large and small. So I think we made a lot of progress and I'm happy to see that, of course. Well, I'd like to end then on that note for young women coming into our field as journalists, which is, it's pretty tough business. Um, in term, especially if you're trying to balance a family, which we didn't even touch on motherhood. And, and <laughs> um, but what, what advice would you have for a young woman starting a career uh, in journalism? Well, I think there are always, number one, I would, and I'd say this to men too, um, that there are always going to be jobs for people who know how to gather information and how to write. And so I wouldn't want women to be scared off from the profession because of what we've gone through in the digital, digital transformation. Um, but I would also say work hard and just be as good as the men. I mean, when I was in the profession, you had to be better in order to rise to the mm -hmm. top. You really had to be better in every way. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. So I would just say work hard and go for it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of opportunities out there for women now. Well, they could do worse than take advice from you, Sandy. Um, <laughs> true leader. I mean, I'll, one of the first things you ever told me was cut the BS. So that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. always been good advice for me. Uh, I didn't always succeed at it, but I got to tell you, I'm grateful for your contributions to co the company, but especially to me. Um, and it's the things you taught me have stayed with me. And, and hopefully I pass that along to another generation of leaders as well. Thank you so much for joining us on International Women's Day. Um, happy uh, Women's History Month. I'll let you go back to your condo uh, newspaper <laughs> that you're running. Thanks, John. It was great being with you. 
It was my pleasure, Sandy. And there they go. A huge thanks to Sandy for joining us in this delightful conversation. And I hope you dug it. If you do like what we're doing, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren. And this is Behind the Headlines.